Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Dylan Dan, episode 73 for Sunday, February 12th, 2012. Actually, is that a palindrome? No, yesterday was. 2011 was. Um, I am Bill Wadman. And I'm Dan Gottesman. And uh, welcome back. Sorry for the three-week hiatus, two-week hiatus? Something like that. But we gave you a new episode this last week, uh, which was recorded uh, a couple weeks before that. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a story behind this. Uh, Dan, what was the thing we were using? Um, when I first started the podcast, um, well, when I when I first when I what, it would, let, let me let me back up a second here and say uh, when I was doing research on how to you know how to do a podcast yeah, as far two as two years the, ago when we started something like that yeah as a, you know as a kind of a noob. Um, I was under the impression that you needed to use some sort of a third-party service. Um, I thought that the podcast process or workflow or whatever you want to call it was a lot more complicated than it actually is. And uh, I spoke with a friend of mine, and he was using this free service called Mevio, M-E-V-I-O dot com. And I checked it out and did a little, you know, at the time I did some research and compared it to a few of the other things, and they all basically looked about the same. They're all pretty ugly. They all had really, you know, weird interfaces and lots of ads and, you know, stuff all over the place. It was, uh, it, it, but, but at the, you know, at the end of the day, we tested it out and it seemed to work. And, um, we just, we just kept, uh, kept going with it. So, uh, we, we posted, you know, just about every, the way, the way the, the workflow was a little, little around the bush. I guess you could say. Is that what they say? Around the bush? Beating around the bush? Beating around the bush? I don't know. It was, it was kind of roundabout. It was a little uh, cantankerous. Cantankerous? I don't know. It was, it was not streamlined. That's for darn sure. But what happened was, uh, you know, Bill, Bill does the audio editing on the show. And then uh, I would have to upload the file, uh, the actual MP3 file, to the Mivio service. And they also, since they were the ones who were... Uh, operating the RSS feed, which is really the only thing that makes a podcast a podcast, is, is this is this feed. Um, they were for, they were doing all the formatting and all the you know the publishing and whatnot. Um, and in order for our our show to have proper show notes and descriptions and all that other fun stuff, we'd have to have that sort of written at the time of the of the publishing. And and then I guess about I don't know maybe half a year ago, a little more than that, yep. when we started circuitous.tv, the, the official sort of home of the podcast, we wound up having to do these, uh, you know, the stuff sort of twice where there was the, 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 the blog, you know, like the home, uh, where we could have comments and, and, you know, links to the shows themselves and, you know, in the show notes. And then also the feed version, which was based in the, in the maybe thing. So it was kind of a, we kind of were doing, we were kind of doing all the work twice. Yes. Um, which, which, whatever, it wasn't broken, but it was, uh, you know, it was a little roundabout. Uh, and then, sort of out of nowhere, our hand was uh, forced. Yeah, out of well, and this is funny. Um, I, I guess maybe three or four months ago, uh, one of the one of the nice little bonuses or benefits of the Mivio service was that they did actually have some pretty nice looking um, stats, so we could actually get an idea of how many people were listening and and you know what which episodes were more popular than others and, you know, kind of view, uh, view our traffic and our overall usage, um, with, you know, pretty graphs and things like that. Um, 
And then so one one day, I, like I said, about two or three months ago, the stats just disappeared. And and I'm like, oh, that's really frustrating. I mean, you know, why, why would something like that happen? And unfortunately, with a with a free service like this, it's like you can't really complain too much because you kind of get what you pay for. And I sort of raised the question to Bill. I'm like, well, hey, man, why don't we think about doing this ourselves? And that way we can have our own stats and then we don't have to worry about the service going down. One of the other little annoying uh things about the the Mivia service was their stats were only up, updated about once every 24 hours. So, yeah, and, and a lot of stats actually. What's that? A lot of stats. That's how that works. Oh yeah. I mean, there's log files made all the time, but they're only parsed once every 24 hours or whatever. Right. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I get it. I wasn't complaining about that as far as a free service, but I knew, like you said, there, you know, the log files, I mean, as soon as somebody clicks on something, it's getting noted somewhere. Yep. And there are lots of services out there that offer, real time or even hourly, you know, you know, updates. Why, you know, it'd be nice if you didn't have to wait 24 hours. It'd be kind of cool to know within the first six hours or 12 hours of, uh, of our posting a show, uh, how it was doing, you know, sure. uh, rather than having to wait like four or five days for all of the stats to sort of like level out and, and complete. So that was, you know, I raised that idea, but then we were both kind of busy and we just sort of didn't really do anything about it. Anyway, uh, at the end of January, like the day after we recorded our last episode, uh, you know, went through the process and logged into the site and uh, get to get ready to upload our our episode. And uh, lo and behold, my, our account was suspended. Bum 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 bum. Bastards. I know. So, um, you know, I followed the little instructions, and they said, uh, you know, send us a, a message if you if you think this is a mistake or if you're having a trouble, any you know, trouble or problem. Um, so I did that and uh, a couple of days went by and I didn't hear anything. And, uh, I sent another message and still nothing. And then I went to their like automated, like help bot thing, you know, like just to kind of open a trouble ticket. Uh, and I got a reply saying they got my ticket, but they didn't actually send anything back. So almost a week passed by. And, uh, finally I got, uh, uh, you know, a mass mail, uh, bulk email from Mivio informing, uh, everybody that um, I guess some of the users on their service weren't following the rules uh, or the, you know, the terms of the service agreement. And they decided that the best way to handle this was just to disable everybody's account. And, and I hadn't really I thought what about they were that. Possi- what could they possibly have been doing? I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, it doesn't, doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah, go ahead. Um, anyway. I, but I did some, I did some Googling and it turns out, you know, sure enough, there were lots of people, lots of people like us, you know, with small little independent podcasts um, that were stuck in the same boat. Um, and if I, I read the 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 uh, the letter a few times and the, the best I could understand, I, I think what's happening is is Mivio is just has decided that they're going to transition into becoming a video podcast hosting service only. And because we only do audio podcasting, uh, they aren't interested in uh, hosting our podcast anymore. So they said that they would re-enable all the accounts on like, I guess, February 6th or something like that. Uh, and, you know, I went back and logged in on the 6th and then the 7th and the, the message hadn't changed. So it's, so I assumed that because our account was still disabled, we weren't on the list of, of people who were getting their accounts back. And so... Um, that prompted me and Bill to consider alternatives. I will tell you that I, I feel a little bit um, declined 
You know, I feel a little uh, like I've been shot down, like I didn't get asked to the prom. Straight up to your face and diss you. Yeah, you know? Yep. Um, so we came up with another plan, which is is to host our files and, and to run our XML feed ourselves. Um, the trick is, where do you host your files? Now, we don't have a huge reader sh- listenership, but it's not a small leader- listenership. And uh, we our files are, say, 30 megs a thing, and it ends up being gigabytes of transfer. And even though my host and Dan's host theoretically both have unlimited bandwidth and unlimited storage on our servers for our websites. I don't trust, I don't want to test the unlimited theory. It's sort of like the, uh, AT&T Verizon unlimited stuff. Yeah. yeah. They all, it's they like, all yeah, that. it's unlimited, but it's not really unlimited, unlimited. asterisk. Yeah. Like exactly. there's a little or unlimited in quotes. Right. And so we were trying to find out a way that we would only have to do this once. So what we've kind of come up with, uh, is to run the, the feed on our server which I'll get into in a minute, but to host the files up on Amazon S3 storage service. Which just recently lowered their prices. They did, and you can actually even get lower prices if you turn off the like super redundancy feature. Because mm. they have some sort of thing where they have it you know, mirrored on five different data centers around the world, and if you turn this off, it's only on two different data centers or some, you know. Yeah. It's not going anywhere either way. I um, think it'll be fine. And our stuff is not... If the world that if if something big enough happens that you know half of Amazon servers go offline, mm-hmm. it's probably bigger than our podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a safe bet. Yeah. So, um, so we did that. We uploaded them on Dan's little uh, FiOS line. Yep. Which took all of how long to upload the two and a half gigs of our stuff? Uh, like ten minutes. Yeah, I hate you. Maybe twelve minutes. I think that's just wrong. <laughs> um. And then uh, I'm using a little app called Feeder, F-E-E-D-E-R, mm-hmm. um, which is a little macOS app that you can load in uh, an XML feed, which I did from the old Mivio. I got the latest Mivio feed, mm-hmm. and I imported it into this thing, and then I edited all 71 or 72 old episodes, changing the URL to point to the new place on Amazon and then uh and then we we changed the feed and feed burner and right. it seems to be working. Yeah, I think that was the one super lucky stroke that we that we, you know, when I first set the podcast up a long time ago, um I don't know where I read it or how it came to me, but it just um because here's the thing, when you submit uh, a podcast to the iTunes Music Store, it's a one-time transaction. Like it's not like you have like a podcasting account on iTunes. Basically, you submit your feed, it validates it, and then that's it. You can't change it from that point on. Yeah, which is actually really annoying. Yeah, it's really. But annoying. the thing is, I mean, if you go and change the data in your feed, does it update it on iTunes? You know, that's a really good question. Because um, I so I noticed how you chain you added a few little nice little bits. Because uh, I when I when we were testing out the new feed that you made. I resubscribed to it uh, in iTunes, and uh, you added a few lines to the description, which I thought were was appropriate. Um, and they and show up. They show up in in my iTunes uh, subscription. Here, you know, it's interesting. Okay, so, so I just looked up. Uh, yeah, okay. So our description and the new image show up if you go into the iTunes store. Is that so? Yep. Great. So it seems to be working. And the other thing we were worried about was if you had already subscribed, 
if oh, right. us changing the URLs would make whatever podcasting app you're using uh, want to re-download everything. everything. Right. But it doesn't seem to have done that. Hey, can, you need to go through and fix these explicit tags <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Uh, that's, I'm sure that's pretty quick and easy. But no, you're right. Yeah, it it, uh, it definitely up, seems to. So I guess. Or were I guess, we explicit back then? Uh, well, it's true. We were a little bit explicit. but so. uh, And we still are sometimes. You never yeah. know. But look, we have um, a nice new picture with us on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not 100% in love with uh, with that, but I guess it's a step <laughs> It's step a step forward. in the right direction. It is stepping in the right direction. That's <laughs> definitely good. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's that's my Facebook picture, so it's not like I'm ashamed of the picture, but um, it's it's kind of silly. <laughs> oh, it's definitely silly, but you know, it's the best I had at the moment. No, I it was either did. that one or the one where you're like blowing your cheeks out like dizzy. Uh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so it's you know, you're lucky I chose this one. I am lucky. So so lucky. So in the in the short long story short, uh, yeah. we are hosting our own show. Yeah, we're big boys now. Yeah. And uh, and then the big question is how much the bill ends up being at the end of the month from Amazon. Yeah, hopefully it won't be too much. Um, and then I guess we'll decide on how we want to how we want to roll from there. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. It's a whole new world. Uh, the only thing that we the only thing we don't like about the S three at the moment. Yeah. Is stats. Yeah, log the log. Well, like we said, the logs are are nice and nice and deep and and rich. But but uh, it's a very do-it-yourself uh, yeah process. It's not as clean. I mean, someone I'm sure someone has has solved this problem already, and there's a nice little. There are services know. that do it for a fee, right? And my who thing knows? is that I just don't want to spend another five or ten bucks a month just to see right. my stats. Right, right, right. Although, unless you know, unless we can somehow make it so that it pays for itself. No, it's maybe, true. Maybe we should start looking for sponsors. Well, there, therein lies. Yeah, that's the rub. So, if you want to be a sponsor, or yeah, you want to, uh, yeah. See, this is expensive. Is it? Well, how much is it? What are you looking at? Well, we've. Uh, well, not. It's not expensive, but we've already spent seventy cents. Oh my god! Already? Yep. Holy cow! <laughs> no, but it adds up. It's no, true. that's not. I mean, that's not a big deal. But it's only been a couple of days, so you know. It's true. It's true. Uh, and then if our numbers go up, so I guess I guess we will see. Uh, see what happens. Apparently, we're we are over uh, a gigabyte of transfer already this month. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's fascinating. This stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's get uh, let's get into some more uh, okay so, relevant stuff. So things that uh, people you will care about. Yeah, more. and uh, welcome back. And uh, sorry for the delay. Yeah. Okay, moving on. So uh, you had a couple little things you want to talk about. You want to what? You want to jump into the other stuff first before we get to our little picks. Um, sure. Uh, I guess the big news, at least in the camera world over the past couple weeks, is that new Nikon camera. Yeah, yeah, the D800. Yeah, and now it seems to be that there are two different versions of this D800, correct? Yeah, it's a little weird. The D800, what's the the one without the, what is it? It, it, They're removing the anti-alias filter? Yeah, exactly. It's the E, that's the... And it costs more to have less, which seems like an odd thing. You think they'd just cost the same you know yeah we're just not gonna put that piece on yeah i'm Um, not sure well i mean their their thinking is that without that piece you get a a better looking or not a better looking but a a more raw file you know less a less uh uh adapted or what's the word i'm looking for a less uh affected affected file it's it's theoretically more accurate right Um, so so, yeah so you're paying for the higher quote-unquote higher quality most um 
most, or actually all, I think, medium format backs do not have anti-alias filters. Correct. Um, now, the, the reason why they have these anti-alias filters is to actually blur the light just a little bit before it hits the sensor so that you don't end up with those moray patterns in fabrics and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, which you can usually fix. Which you can fix, although it's they are a little bit of a pain sometimes. It's true. Um, it's true. And and, it's nice if you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and if you get, there is a point at which you get to a resolution where it's kind of so high res anyway that it just becomes silly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the more is not as much of an issue or it doesn't show up as much in your final thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- this new camera is what? 36 megapixels. Mm-hmm. And it looks just like the uh, very similar to the, uh, the old one, the D 700. So it's like a, not, not one of the big chunky things with like a built-in grip. It's like a regular SLR kind of look. Yeah, it's um, the what's the medium sort of prosumer right. mid-range uh, design, right? Where it doesn't have the the knob with the scene modes. You know, that's usually the distinction. If you're if you look at your camera and it has a knob on it that has scene, you know, like the yeah. action scene and sports scene and night, you know, those little things. Then you're not that's, cool. That's generally that's a consumer grade yeah. camera. And if you're if it doesn't, or and and the, I think those cameras also don't have LCDs uh, on the top. Um, yeah, one the, calls one calls pre-ordering it for twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, a lot, a lot of I mean they're yep, all they're all doing that separately. Um, so now, here's the thing. Okay, so mm-hmm. this big, very very high res sensor, mm-hmm. um, Nikon sources their sensors from Sony, correct? I think so. They don't well, make their own sensors. Canon makes their own sensors. Nikon buys them from Sony. Okay. Um, now the thing about it is that it's basically an 18 or, you know, megapixel cropped sensor up full size, basically. So the same sort of dot pitch, the same, the same amount of sensors per millimeter as in like a DX 18 megapixel sensor, but just a full sized one of that same amount. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's like they took an 18 megapixel DX camera and then added the remaining 1.4%. Yeah. Uncropped uh, or or not 1.4%, you know, but the, yeah, Yeah. exactly. They added like the border around it to make it a full frame. Right. Okay. So here's the thing though, the smaller censored cameras, one of the reasons why they don't look as good as the full frame cameras, the images out of them Mm -hmm. is that the photo sites are a lot smaller to fit 18 megapixels into a size that's about half the size of a full frame sensor. Yep. Okay. Which is again, why the medium formats look as good as they do. Right. Right. So it's, you know, you're kind of stepping up. So in the sense, what Sony and I guess Nikon ultimately using it did was make small photo sites, just a full frame sensor full of really small photo sites. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get image quality in some ways that is similar to a crop sensor. You just get a whole lot more of it. Okay. Um, I will tell you as, and, and I'm not an icon shooter, so that's true, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, that the sense, the files that I saw, I was not all that impressed with. Yeah. I think, uh, you are not alone in that. They're a little uh, noisy and they're, I mean, they're visibly noisy in the shadows at low ISOs. Yeah. Um, they're not that sharp. Uh, and, and I mean, I guess that therein lies the problem is that when you get up to, 30 megapixels, 36 megapixels, even anything, anything above like 20, 20 something, you know, Mm -hmm. you are quite literally limited by the glass in front of the camera. And unless you're using top of the line primes and you're focusing them really well 
and you're stopping down just enough to get them sharp, um, you're going to blur across the pixels of the sensor. You know, your sensor's higher res. Most of the time on my 5D Mark II, a lot of times I'm not getting like per pixel sharpness. And I'm pretty anal about that stuff, you know? See, I'm, my, my qualm isn't so much with the sharpness. Because, I mean, look, if you do look at the, the samples... They're they're plenty sharp, dude. Sharpness is not is not the problem. Yeah, but I it, don't I don't feel. But they look mushy. Like for example, there was a there's a woman's face and there's a eyebrows, right? Mm-hmm. The eyebrow hairs look like just this like nest of hair. They don't look like hairs. You know what I'm saying? I do, but but my my point is, and this is this is where, um, the I I think the 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 sort of critical difference between the Nikon and Canon look. Uh, comes into play. They, they 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 do different things, man. Um, it's it's more than a sharpness thing. It's there's a, uh, it's really hard to explain. It, it's it's um, it's just it's a combination of of the sharpness of the way the colors are rendered rendered uh, of the contrast, like the native contrast of the sensor itself. I mean, we're talking about. I mean, in my in my head, the 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 thing I'm trying to describe is is very similar. To trying to compare like Fuji Velvia to Ektachrome, sure. you know, um, they're they're both terrific looking transparency films, and you know, with the, you know, they have a, a tendency to be like really colorful and vivid, but there's still there's still a slight difference, you know. There's still like one has a little bit more of like a, kind of a, a bluish hey you know thing going on, and the other one's a little warmer, sure. you know. Um, and so when I think when I see Nikon stuff. The Nikon stuff has a tendency to be a little, I don't know, a little more orange, just a little, like a little warmer just by default. Not that you can't tweak, you know, obviously adjust it after the fact. And it's a little, it's like a little, I don't know. Um, it's this weird combination of like, of a, of a, of a <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird, uh, of a sharp softness. Whereas the Canon thing has more of a soft softness uh yeah and uh, i'm not 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 making myself clear um the the canon files always seem a little bit smoother to me you know what i mean okay um with with really sharp edges whereas the nikon files seem to be a little bit more in the middle like a little less affected you know uh okay maybe i don't know i i I guess i guess my thing is that i don't know that that's necessarily what is going on there um i think it might be just that the sensors are they're trying to grab information that's not there. Hmm. You know, that that a 36 megapixel sensor is fine when you have a medium format camera where the sensor's two or three times bigger than than a 35 millimeter. But when you're when you're trying to get 36 megapixels into an area that size, I mean, you're literally limited by light. You know, that 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 you stop a lens down past f5.6. And it actually, it, for example, if you have a, a 20-something megapixel camera, you have a 5D Mark II, sure. and you stop your camera down to f16 or f20, mm-hmm. it's actually softer than it was at f11. There's like a diffraction right. limit, right? It's because of the light. Right, exactly. But but as you get higher and higher megapixels, higher and higher res sensors, that mm-hmm. happens lower in the range. So at a certain point, you're actually, the sharpest you can get is 5.6. And when you stop down to 8, it gets softer. Mm-hmm. And at 36 megapixels, you're reaching that like 5.6 area. So it's it's almost as if like you you're limited to the pictures you can take because light can't be bent accurately enough to actually capture 36 megapixels on a sensor that size. 
Mm. You know, so the yeah. question becomes, you know, okay, who is this camera for? And, you know, you think, okay, landscape people, but landscape people generally stop down, you know, because they want the depth of field. So that's mm -hmm. not that great. Um, I don't think it's going to take the place of medium format for like the really serious studio shooters. Mm -hmm. No, it can't. Right. So it's a different look. Right. Exactly. So it's just, it's a wonder. It's kind of, I'm, as somebody who's looking at these cameras, it's kind of like, okay, so what niche do they think they're going to get? And I'm, the only thing is I can think of is people who are sort of, number image hounds who think that 36 megapixels is going to be better <clears throat> but whether or not these people are actually using like you can't use zoom lenses with a camera like that and expect to get good quality you know you're being you're you're you're, you're being way more critical though i mean you're, you're making it sound like it's impossible <laughs> you're you're it, i'm saying uh, that zoom lenses on that camera you will not yeah. be getting 36 megapixels worth of actual data well, you're going to blur across pixels and you might as well be using a 25 or 20 or 18 megapixel camera. You know what I'm saying? Like that if I, you down if you down res that to 20 megapixels. Bad. Let's put it this way. Whatever whatever the case is, the files that come out of this camera are going to look better than the files that came out of the pre preceding camera, which in they this case They will be better than the D700. Yes, but the D700 right. is 12 megapixels. Right. You know. And it, and honestly, I, I mean the files that come out of that camera look just fine. Yes. Me. It all comes down to how big you want to make these things. Right. But I guess and the point is, is that, I mean, I just, I put a, a link in the show notes and we'll put it up there um, mm -hmm. by this guy, Ray Maxwell, who's this engineer guy. Mm -hmm. And he basically says the title of it's why Moore's law doesn't apply to digital photography. And it's because mm -hmm. it's not just about making things smaller. No, there's some physics involved. There's, there's, there's some, physics there's of light, light involved and, and, yeah. and people don't generally talk about those limitations. And the fact that we're actually hitting those limits yeah, is actually really, really impressive, you know, mm -hmm. but, but the question is, is, I mean, the high ISO performance of this camera can't be very good. You know, why is that? Well, because the things are even smaller. There's less light getting captured. I mean, the advantage to all of the whole point of low light performance is that you're grabbing more photons of light per pixel per time. Right. Yeah. But, but you're getting the same amount of high ISO performance as you'd get on an 18 megapixel cropped camera. Right. So, so that would tell me that, that I could theoretically get another because, because the density is that much higher. Uh, the noise factor is that is one, one stop less of a big deal. So in theory, you know, sure it's going to be noisier, but because there's more pixels, you know, it's, it's like when you take a, a small picture and you, you make it bigger, you know, it's the, it would be the inverse of that. You yeah. Know what but I mean? yeah, but noise isn't, it, it, it noise doesn't actually, like you can't okay for example i had my old 5d and then i have my 5d mark ii mm -hmm. so it's, it's almost twice the resolution you if you take the same picture with those two cameras at the same iso and then take the 5d mark ii and 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 size it down mm -hmm. or take the old one and size it up like mm -hmm. the, it doesn't look it you you can't size away noise no i know you i know what you mean it's 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 surprising how much you can't do that you know what i mean um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's going to be interesting. Like the examples I saw, there was one example they gave it like ISO 800 and there mm -hmm. was noise like, you know, where we're very used to seeing 800 pictures, which are like glass still, you know, smooth. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just interesting, but the really crazy thing mm -hmm. is that on like Canon rumors right now, there's mm -hmm. rumors that Canon is actually splitting the 5d line between two cameras. That wouldn't surprise me. One would be the 5d Mark three which is mm -hmm. around 22 megapixels. So not much more than the current one is. Mm -hmm. um, 
better autofocus, seven frames a second instead of like four or whatever it does now, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and incredibly good video. Apparently, like there's something about 22 megapixels that you can you can bucket the you can bend the pixels in such a way that right. video looks amazingly good. Right. It's like just the right ratio, or you know, sure. Um, doing a, doing 1080. Uh, then the other rumor is that there's going to be a 5DX. Okay. Which with approximately 45 megapixels. Jesus. Right. Now, this is the same problem that Nikon has. I guess it all comes down to if one of them has a better sensor than the other or better software than the other, you know? Yeah. Um, but they point down this thing that has the same pixel size as that new G1X, you know, the little, uh, you know, the little G series. Yeah, with the APS size sensor in it. Yeah, so there's a new one that has that. So basically, it's like the same size as that. It's actually smaller than APS, I think, isn't it? It's it's like bit. half the size of anyway. Um, so it's going to be t- theoretically. The rumor is that there's going to be this one with crazy high megapixels. Which, yep. the I guess the point is is that even though these things have a lot of pixels, even if this is true or not true, yeah, the look of 36 megapixels medium format versus 36 megapixels of this camera, it's not the cheap man's medium format. No, no, and that that sort of segues into the uh, that that trend that I think we already talked about a, uh, a little bit before about how now um, more and more people seem to be digging into the lower end of the medium format uh, systems. Yeah, um, one of my uh, clients, I guess you could say, one of the photographers that I work with pretty regularly now, he just uh, took the plunge. What and- was he shooting with? He was, he's a 5D R2 guy, just like you. He had the okay. same, basically the same rig you did, but with, with more lenses, um, which isn't saying much because you only have like three lenses. Um, I have like six lenses, but I only use three. Right. Anyway. Um, but, he, you know, he, he's been doing a lot of uh, portrait stuff and he wants to make these things big. And you How know, big is big, though? You know, like 40 by 60 or something like that. Okay. Yeah, big. Okay. Uh, you know, like to, ha- like to hang in a, in a gallery and I don't know. And right. print in a, a nice high-res art book. Right. Um, but there's the thing. I mean, he wants to print big. Yeah. You And that's, I mean, that's really big. I mean, the yeah. grand scheme thing, that's pretty big. You know? It is. And, and, you know, and also, he, 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 I think he really fell in love with the, uh, with the look. You know? Remember that, that the medium format look that we were talking about? Yep. Uh, he, he dug it. He digs it. So he, uh, he made it happen, and, and it's cool. You know, I, I, I like working with buy? that system. He got the six four five DF. Okay, with um, what back? With the with a P forty actually, P forty, okay. which is the if you go into the phase one sort of history, um, they P40 have P forty plus or just the P forty. I'm pretty sure it's the plus. I don't okay. think they made a non plus P forty, did they? Um, I don't think they did. Anyway, okay. the point is, their phase one has always had sort of two sizes, if you will, uh, a small, you know, quote unquote small and a quote unquote large. Um, and the P40 is the slightly smaller size, um, which are still, you know, huge files and they look great. Um, but it's also faster, which is kind of nice. So you can get a little over a second, a frame a second if you want to go that <laughs> Ooh, fast. Ooh, one frame a second. Yeah, man. Well, it's a lot of megapixels. It's pretty yeah. impressive. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, um, that, that seems to be, uh, higher and higher, you know, and, and, you know, when, when guys like David Hobby and, Zach Arias and who else, you know, whoever else start, you know, talking about that, um, you know, David, uh, what's his name? David Duchemin. Um, I can't remember. And, you know, th- there's, there's a whole bunch of these guys in that, in the photo blogosphere 
who are all sort of talking about that. And, um, you know, that means that, 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 that that's what people are thinking. That's what people are doing. I, you know, I, I go back and forth. I mean, that's I, fair. I think, I think that they are really cool. I just don't. The, the number of people who are actually printing that big is very small. Yeah. Um, for me, dude, I, I mean, I, it's you, a very, it's a very specific tool. And I think that a lot of those guys going into that, a lot of it is prestige thing as much as it is a need for that. This thing. is a, this is a really good point. Um, and there definitely is something to it. I think when, when Zach wrote his big article, one of the things he mentioned in the middle was how there were, there were moments where, you know, he'd be at a shoot with a client and, you know, it, it could be a little frustrating sometimes when, when the client starts talking to you about your camera and you, you know, start talking about gear and it's like, Oh, I've got one of those, you know, you know, and it sort of like creates this weird tension, you know, between like, Oh, you're a professional. What, well, what are you using the same thing I use at home for? You know, people, for, for the people obviously who don't understand that, uh, you know, that the camera is just a tool and it doesn't really factor in, you know, as greatly as, as most people think, you know, right. We've had that discussion many sure. times. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there is that, but for me, man, I, I'm not a guy who likes to print pictures at all. And I, and I still contend that those lenses in, in that though, just the way the light works looks different. Well, they're, they're bending cool the light look. less to, to get it that small. It's sure. a cool look, man. And I, my personal favorite right now, um, still, I still really like the way the old school Hasselblad V system looks, man. You take, you take those old, you know, classic lenses from you know from from the past 50 years really any of them um and you you put them on a even a p45 any any phase one back you know just just the way that the lenses do whatever it is that they do i can't explain it but there's just a certain certain look to it that that really works for me you know yeah i just you know the things that we the 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 focus autofocus systems on these things oh my god uh, <laughs> the, the the expenses of the lenses the yeah. fact that you can't shoot more than one a second, the fact yeah. that you can't shoot at over like 200 ISO without getting yeah. so much noise, you can't use it. Yeah, I mean, it's these a are, process. These There's are, a lot of Those things. are a lot of huge roadblocks to me. I mean, if you yeah. were a studio guy and you're using lights all the time and you work, yeah. th- that's fine. Yeah, exactly. But, like, but the idea that somebody like David Hobby, who shoots for like newspapers and stuff. He d- no, he doesn't do that anymore. What does he do he now? He used to. Now he does all kinds of stuff. He's, he's done a whole bunch of, you should visit his website and check a look at his Flickr right. uh, photo stream. He's actually got some reasonably nice looking stuff. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting, it's, I, I, I like, I like the idea. It's just, it's like 10 times the cost for maybe 50% more quality. But here's the thing, man, the cost is coming down. You know, that's, well, that's they the still point. Cost $20,000 for a decent system. I guess. But you know, how much did you spend on your gear, dude? Uh, 2000 plus maybe 8,000 total, but that's with four really great primes. You know, and like, and like, you know, I think you spent a little more than that if you take your body into consideration too, you know, uh, well, my body, what do they cost now? 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Let's assume, let's assume that you spent between 24 and 25 on it. Okay. Right. And then all those one, two plus, primes you have, yeah, those are like 1500 a piece. So that's 45. More than that's, that, dude. Those are closer to two grand a piece. No. Cause I bought the 85 on, on used. And then the, the well, other ones, well, well, you know, let's you, the 20 grand number that you threw out was a force for new. So let's assume that you know we're talking all new now cuz yeah. you can you can find old medium older medium format digital stuff for a lot less yeah but like medium format digital has i don't know that i would want a 5 year old or 3 year old medium format back why not 
because they were even slower back then. Like they, they've actually made. Why, well, why is speed such a big deal all of a sudden? I don't. Not. I, it's not. It's not like I you shoot, shoot that fast. No, I don't shoot that fast. But like, I don't know. It's just like the interfaces on these things were pretty awful. Well, um, yeah. I mean, my. I don't. I'm. I'm not disagreeing with you. I personally think that the six four five and the Pentax and the Mamiya. All, all those, you know, these, these, these all-in-one cameras. I feel like you're in like 1986. Yeah. The design. Body. I don't know what they were thinking with the design. Um, and and the, the best of the bunch, in my opinion, the Hasselblad, the H series, is still like, you know, 1990. It's like, what are you guys doing? You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I say, screw it. Don't, don't even mess with that auto stuff. Nobody, no, nobody I know, uh, or at least none of the people who worked for for Detouch when I used to work there, none of their clients used any of that stuff. They they all went to manual mode. They all used manual exposure, manual focus, and manual everything. Manual exposure and, is fine. Manual yeah. focus, like if you're if you don't stop down to f eight, you can't see that. Well, they, they, sh- they that's what they, you they know, do. You lots of tests and lots, yeah, of, yeah. and that's why you shoot tethered with a with an LCD next to you, and you can yeah, yeah, check yeah. your focus. I just I think you know I went to a I went to the thing the other night about Photoshop, which we'll get into in a second. And the woman who got up to talk afterwards. Oh, yeah. You're telling me about that. Oh, it was so obnoxious. I want to slap her. I won't get into anyway, names. Anyway, just rounding up the thing about the D800. So the other thing that, that's kind of really uh, interesting about it that I think is really going to make a splash uh, is is the video um, factor. I think this is definitely – Nikon has definitely played some major catch-up um, and is now back in the – the contending, you know, back their, their contender again in the, uh, in the video world, um, between the D four and now this new D 800. Um, there, I've seen some, some samples and it looks great. I mean, it's really good looking stuff. Yeah. I think and now, now just to sort of play devil's advocate, I think Canon kicked up everything a whole different notch, like completely with their new C 300 thing. Oh, Have you the, seen that the video specific camera. Yeah, that thing looks really cool, um, and I'm really curious to see um, what comes from that. Because um, I, I mean, it's just it's a really interesting, you know, it's a really interesting uh, phase that we're going through right now, where yep. the, the the lines are becoming so much more blurry between you know 35 millimeter format still versus video versus medium format still, and now there's this whole 4K thing, you know, the yep. whole 4K video thing. Which you know that now like they're starting to make 4K televisions, yeah. And there's four. Although, you go to the movies and there's 4K projectors. It's interesting to me. Like uh, we were, I was out. Uh, I saw Claude a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. and uh, and we were just talking about how like a lot of these movies now mm-hmm. they'll shoot scenes with a 5D two or whatever, right? Yeah, sure. and they'll intercut it with stuff shot on a red or an Alexa. You know what? Yeah, yeah, and no one knows. No, it's true. Although, yeah. if you go to see Mission Impossible Four, I have, yeah, yeah, you can see there's some pretty amazing, and you see it in an IMAX theater. One of the things that really jumped out at me was that, like, a lot of like the helicopter shots and some of the more wide, you know, the wider establishing shots that they were yeah. using um, were obviously shot on. Uh, well, they weren't shot on an IMAX camera. <laughs> like you could really tell the difference between the IMAX footage and the non-IMAX footage. Sure, but it didn't take me out of the movie. Good for you. <laughs> it did for you? Yeah. I mean, if I if I hadn't noticed it, it wouldn't have, you know. But I, I don't know. It just jumped right out at me. And then once I saw it, I'm like, that's it. I kept seeing it over and over again. Yeah. So I mean, it well, great. it jumped formats. It went back and forth from like an IMAX-like format to widescreen you know. and stuff. Right. Um, that movie was very good, by the way. Yeah. I enjoyed no, it. No, I loved I enjoyed it. It was it a great film. Me too. Brad Bird, man. The best the, of the four, I think. 
Yeah, for sure. Although the JJ, I like the last one too. The third one was wasn't bad. The third one wasn't bad. I just it's there's something about I just love when they, when they're in the room. It's like oh, you got to go up and outside or into the server room, and yeah, he's just like wait, what? And he's like oh, I'm I'm working on the computer, and the other guy's like oh, I'm just here to help, and and Tom Cruise gets this look on his face, and then he's just like. All right, how many floors? <laughs> just the idea, like, okay, fine, I'll do it. How many yeah. floors? Do I have to yeah. go? Plus, uh, it's like fifty now, dude. Yeah, still looks That's good. Not bad. Still got the smile. Definitely. Uh, still runs weird though. <laughs> he runs. He runs fast when he's like running straight. He's a very efficient runner. Um, weird. Another quick thing: uh, Canon put out an update to its twenty-four to seventy lens, which is a huge. Oh, right. That's like. It's a bread and butter lens. Bread right and there. butter lens to a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's supposed to be lighter. It's supposed to, it's smaller. It's uh, sharp Sharper. from end to end. Um, the only problem I have with it is that it costs twice as much as the old one. Well, that, um, that that seems to be the trend. I mean, you look at the Nikon when Nikon re-released their or I should say they updated their seventy to two hundred. It jumped from like fourteen hundred bucks to like eighteen hundred bucks. Yeah, this went so, from you can use the old one used to be like thirteen or fourteen hundred, and now it's twenty two ninety nine. Oh, wow. Wow. That is expensive, man. Yeah, it's really expensive. Uh, they also put out a uh, – luckily, I don't really use Zooms or I would have to feel like I needed one. Right. Um, they also put out the 24 and 28 2.8s with IS, mm-hmm. which are like these weird lenses because it's like, first of all, do you really need IS on these wide-angle lenses? But Oh, yeah. Sure, dude. Don't you Don't you know? Because, you know, fo- focusing with the wide-angle lens is so hard. Yeah, and then and then the other thing is that they cost $800 a piece. So they're like nice. kind of high-end lenses, but they're not yeah. that fast. 2.8 for a prime. Huh. Um, so I don't know, really know what the deal is with those. Although, you know, I love my 28 1.8. And I you, rare, I rarely use it, it at one point eight. So I this would if it's actually a better quality lens than my one point eight, I would totally consider it. Yeah, it's you should rent bucks. it when they come out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. Um, but it looks uh, it's kind of interesting. Definitely, it's good to interesting time to be a photographer. I guess is the point. Hell yeah, bro. So uh, last week a friend of mine said uh, actually it was earlier this week uh, this last week said uh, you know I got this thing in the mail she works at this uh, art school in New York City and she said uh, Adobe's coming into town and doing like a little stage thing showing off some new features of Photoshop mm-hmm. she's like you want to go and I was like yeah sure I'll go out tonight I use Photoshop I'll I use check Photoshop it out. I like you know and I was a beta tester for CS4 huh. um Back in the day. Yeah. So I've used, you know, I've used the beta software and I haven't, I didn't bother with CS5 and I don't, you know, I, I just use it now. You know, I don't really need the new features, but there were some new features that the guy showed and, and apparently they have some sort of Facebook page or a blog somewhere where they're showing videos of new features. Uh-huh. And he's like, a couple of these we've put up and a, and a few of them, he said, I've, you know, we've never shown anybody outside of Adobe. And he's like, I just decided to ask for forgiveness, not for permission from my boss. So you're going to huh. see stuff. So, nice. so a couple of things he showed first, he showed, uh, you know, the, the new raw engine in Lightroom four, which is pretty great, uh-huh. uh, is now in camera raw, obviously. Right. Sure. So there's, there's that. And to, to show off how good it was, he showed a, uh, he took a picture. It was like a JPEG. And I was like, what the hell is he showing a JPEG for? He's just like, this is a picture of the Eiffel tower. I shot on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I wanted to show you what it can do with this so that you can imagine what it could do with a good file, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he pulled up the shadows and like things that were completely black. There was like all this data in. It was actually hmm. pretty impressive. Nice. And then he started painting in, you know, like uh, the the tint color temperature changes and that kind of stuff because nice. you can like paint in white balance basically. Yeah, well, um, you, I think you've always been able to do that. No, that's a new thing. In, oh, really? in I think Light Aperture, maybe Aperture's been able to do that. I can't remember. Okay, uh, pretty cool. Uh, then he goes into it and he starts showing a few things. So uh, all the new stuff in line, the autosave, it now does. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah, I hate that stuff. Uh, it, it'll also do background saving, which is actually kind of cool. So you can hit save and st- keep working. Oh, right. You were telling me about that. That's a neat idea. Which is a neat idea because one of the things I can't stand is waiting... I think Final Cut uh, Pro 10 does that. Too. Okay, yeah. The thing is about Final Cut Pro 10, say, it's just saving metadata. They're not touching the data. No, no, but it, no. I'm, well, not so much the saving thing, but the way it, the whole concept of like multi-threading work, like I'm working on something while you're working on something. Right. Like it's, you know, rendering. And or, I, I hope, I hope that they've actually rebuilt some of the engine so that it can be more efficient and use multiprocessors. I mean, let's, yeah, yeah, let's just assume. Well, that. one of the things that he showed, uh, one of the cool features is the new liquify tool, uh, which is pretty cool now. So, you know, when you go into liquify now with like any si- decent sized body, it actually tiles in the picture because mm-hmm. it's bringing it in chunk by chunk. They've mm-hmm. now actually kind of tiled the images so, or, or, or it does it all internally and it can use multiple processors. So it just pops up Wow! and then moving stuff around sometimes, uh, depending on your machine, your size of your thing, it actually, it can't keep up with your movements in liquify. Wow. That's not unusual. Yeah. Well now it can, it's actually using the GPU to huh. do liquify, Neat. which is kind of cool. Yeah. The one thing he didn't show, he, he hit cancel instead of okay. Once he was doing that. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if actual rendering is any faster. Or if that takes just as long, you know, hmm. like once you move stuff around, um, there's a new feature where it'll do, uh, uh, the sort of content aware fill stuff from CS five they've made better. And so now there's a content aware patch tool. So you could say, I want to replace this stuff with the stuff over here and you can like drag over, you know, I use like the patch tool. So it does yeah. the patch stuff with content aware fill. Um, well, also, I think that's that's a no brainer. Um, yeah. The whole content aware engine or whatever you want to call it, that's their new baby. You know, yeah, that's like because it, it was jewel. it was kind of I don't know. I find it very unsuccessful most of the time that I want to use it. Yeah, but you're critical. No, I mean like it just copies something completely unrelated from another part of the picture and sticks it in. Oh the yeah, of the field, I think you know? there's there's definitely a a trick to it. You need yeah. to, you need to be smart about how you're selecting your origin. You know, yeah. you can't just like select an entire half of a picture and expect it to be smart enough to, to, you know, to well, as it is right now, I don't think you can select an origin. I think this is now one of the new things. Oh, okay, cool. So there's that. And then, uh, there's content aware move. So if you have like a person in the middle of a, you know, field of grass, you can Mm -hmm. cut around that person, drag them over to somewhere else in the grass and it'll fill in the grass and move the person. Mm. It actually does a pretty good job, even filling in stuff behind it that you wouldn't think it'd be able to do. Like if their head was across like a, you know, a pole went through the side of something, you know, like a, the back of a fence was behind them. It'll actually Hmm. fill in the weirdness of the fence. Um, it was good, but with all those things, you know, you're showing it at 10% or 16% on a screen. It's like zoom into a hundred and let me see if it's actually good enough to print, you know, or if I'm going to have to go in there by hand and do it anyway. Right. Um, so it was kind of interesting, but somewhat useless. They also, uh, rebuilt the interface, uh, they've not only have they like all the different uh 
radio buttons and you know bars and sliders and all those things have all been unified under a certain thing. Um, mm-hmm. They brought in a bunch of engineers and a bunch of designers and redid the whole interface clean and dark. So it's sort of dark like Lightroom is now. Nice. Yeah. Um, and you can actually go in and change the color in these uh, uh, presets too. So you can, if you like it a little lighter, a little darker, whatever it is, you can go play with that. Cool. So the stuff they showed was cool. Um, in some ways that interface change and the background saving, uh-huh. not like that. I don't want auto saving. Cause you know, there's a question. All right. I have a two gigabyte file. Right. It's auto saving every 10 minutes. I'm working right. on it for two hours. That's like 50 gigs worth of stuff. It's, sitting around you know yeah uh when i save it and close out does it just delete all those extra files it's supposed to i mean it's supposed to clean up after itself i mean hopefully though that it's doing that and not like keeping the last 10 you worked on because i don't have that kind of hard drive space you know yeah Uh, that's that's one of the things that i work with it's it's one thing when you're doing word documents and you can have a hundred of them it's no big deal but like when you're working on two gigabyte docs like right it adds up yeah it does add up um, so it'll be interesting to see, but at least it's a better upgrade than CS5 was to me. There's very little in CS5 that I actually use that wasn't in the old versions, you know? Mm. Anyway, just a interesting thing. Totally. I won't get into the other girl. <laughs> Save it for next time. Yeah. What, uh, so what do you got going on? Um, what do you mean? Uh, you had some little, uh, oh, uh, right, apps right, and things. right, right, right. Um, I'm changing <laughs> gears here a little bit. What do bit, you mean? So. I didn't know what you meant. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't looking at the at the screen. We have a script. I was, yeah, at the script. No, I was I was listening to you. I wasn't looking. I wasn't paying attention. Um, so I um started using an iPad pretty recently, like over the maybe in the past six months or so. My uh, my sister was given an iPad. Um, I think it was like as a going away present sort of thing, or as a thank you from her old job. And she tried using it for a while. No, you know, this is more like it's been more than that. It's been maybe like nine months because she left her job a long time ago. Um, but yeah, so she got the iPad. She it, it was a first gen. Um, Jesus, it was more than that. I mean, it, the iPad two hadn't come out. This was this is right before the iPad two came out. So I guess so this is like about last year. March. Yeah, about a year ago. So <laughs> here's what. So here's what happened. So she she got this iPad, uh, which I think is a 16 gig, uh, 3G version. Okay. Uh, and tried, you know, tried using it like not unlike your sort of experiment. Although, rather than figuring out that it wasn't for her in a week, like you did, uh, it took her a good, you know, three or four months. Uh, and it was just like sitting around, like she just she just couldn't really find a good application for it for her the way she she does her stuff. Um, so she said I could have it, or I think I, I gave her a couple of bucks for it. Uh, I told her I'd sell it for her on eBay maybe or something like that. But, you know, I figured since I had an iPad in my hands and I hadn't really spent much quality time with one, um, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd mess around. And what wound up happening uh, in, at, at first is I just wound up putting a bunch of games on it because <laughs> it's actually a pretty pretty decent uh, platform for, for games. Uh, and I know how you feel about games, so we won't get into that. No, they're fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but more recently... Uh, I have found that it can, ca- can come in really handy for a couple of really specific uh, tasks. Um, there's a really nice little uh, freebie app that lets you tie it directly to Capture One. Okay. So if you want an additional display for your, uh, for your, you know, as you're as you're shooting tethered, you can actually see what the images look like as they're coming in, and 
you know, rate them and, and tag them and what have you, which is kind of cool. Um, and I also, um, found some pretty cool uses for it, uh, in, in music. Um, one of my, one of my buddies, uh, a guy playing a, in the cover band with, uh, he, he, he started, uh, making notes for lyrics and, you know, other, you know, whatever you want to call it, set, not, not quite set lists, but, you know, he started basically developing like this catalog, um, so that he could pull up information on songs. Most of the time it's just lyrics, but you know, I think there's some other stuff too, maybe some chords and stuff. Um, and he got a neat little, like a clip on stand so that he could, you know, attach it to a mic stand and have his iPad right there, um, up on stage with him. And I'm like, that's a pretty good idea. Um, so not, not too long ago, I, uh, joined a new band where um, I'm not going to get into the details right right here right now. But long story short, I had a whole bunch of material to to, to prepare, um, like upwards of 50 or 60 songs, uh, which were really similar sounding. So so when I'm learning new material, um, you know, I, I usually just kind of commit it to memory by listening to it over and over again, and generally that does the trick. But I'm really bad at remembering the names of songs and, uh, you know, things like that. And, and so, so, you know, when you have all of these songs that have sort of similar sounding names, um, it's, and, you know, and you're, you're having to remember, you know, look at, you know, look at a set list with all these things. You, you need additional hints to, to remind you what, you know, what song is next and how it goes. So I decided that rather than going through the hassle of like, writing all this down and printing it and then cutting it out and, you know, having a paper set list, uh, I would take a crack at using the iPad. Um, and, uh, my sort of go-to application for general note sharing and note taking, um, is Evernote, which I like because it's sort of cross platform in that I, there's a Mac OS app for it and an iOS app for it and a web based app as well. So you can kind of access your stuff, um, from any device. And once you do it on one and you open it up on the other and you synchronize it, uh, it's, it's all there. There is one unfortunate, um, caveat to that, however, and that is if you don't use the, the premium version, the pay for version of the software, um, you can't actually cache your notes locally on your device. Uh, you can on your laptop, uh, like the Mac OS version does, but the iOS version on like on the iPad and the, uh, and the iPhone, um, do not. So if you are in an area where there is no signal, uh, like in a basement in a rehearsal space, for example, um, and you didn't pre-cache that set list that you were working on before you left, you know, uh, it, it's sort of useless. So very recently I did some research and I found this really handy little, um, iOS app called set list maker. <laughs> um, and it really worked out great. Um, in that it's designed to do exactly what I needed it to do. You know, you basically build this little database of, of all your songs. And then there's tons of little fields and special, uh, areas for, you know, designating tempo, key change, you know, any given notes. Um, and then from those songs, you can then build individual set lists. And, and what I was doing before was I was doing it the manual way. Like I had a giant note with like all 45 some odd songs and all of my notes in them. And I was literally cutting and pasting, from that note into new notes, one for each set list, which, you know, again, was totally functional, but a bit roundabout. Right. Um, so this 
this system is, it, you know, it was obviously some, some musician guy, uh, you know, saw a need for this to, you know, for himself and he programmed it. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like super slick and, and it all seems very simple. Now, can you attach an MP3 to each song? You sure can. Oh, I see. So you can play them. I see. So you yeah. could actually sit there, make up a, a set list of say cover tunes, right? Uh-huh. Sure. You could have all the MP3s and just hit and play, and you so you can like listen to this set list over and over again to get used to it. Exactly. And in fact, he even made it so that you can, if you if you're the if you want to be playing, like performing with the MP3, um, you know, you can line your 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 iPad into the mixer, and you know, it'll play along with you. You know, you can sure you can do that. Uh, and, and it, there's a, men, a metronome feature where you can have it flash the the tempo, or, or if you want, you can assign a uh, a MIDI uh, or, or built in. You know, click sound, click note, which is kind of cool. There's, yeah, there's a bunch of really nice little features. And, and it's one of those like nice little one man show deals where the guy who's doing this is obviously, you know, um, listening to he's taking suggestions and he's implementing them. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the independent software um, developer scene. And he, he's made it. Uh, there's a couple of little pay for features where if you have if you want, if you don't want to sit there and type everything in on your iPad, um, which yeah. obviously if you have a whole bunch of songs. In that could be purchases, a what import <laughs> tunes from what? From a, from an Excel spreadsheet, or you a, could uh, uh, email set lists. Yeah, and if you have more than one device, or if you're if you're in a band and and more than one person uh, has this, you can you can all sort of synchronize your your databases. You can yeah, synchronize the, and yourself. And there's a send MIDI commands. Yeah, pretty so far. you could you could is there a text field you can like just drop MIDI commands in so it it could change 15 different synths to the right patches kind of thing. I you know I didn't read about that. That wouldn't surprise me. The other cool thing is is it has Bluetooth support for Bluetooth? some of those. Bluetooth. Can I ask you a question? Um, <laughs> it has uh, support for those uh, page turning, you know, like there's those Bluetooth foot pedals that sure. let you, you know, like do page up or page down if you, if you, you know, if you're playing an instrument so you don't, you don't have to touch the screen to, to, to advance. Uh, long story short, I was really impressed. Uh, I, I spent, um, you know, about an hour today putting it all together. Uh, I used, just used a Bluetooth keyboard to, t- to type everything in, which didn't take long. And... Um, I I love it. So so the other thing I wanted to talk about that's a little bit more relevant to photography stuff um, is this system that I got uh, about a month ago because I figured if I'm going to be playing the drums with an iPad on stage, I need to have the iPad in relative close proximity to me, but not, you know, I don't want to put it on the floor because it's going to get, you know, potentially stepped on or spilled on or whatever. So I found... Um, this, there's this company that, that's been around for a little over a year now called Tether Tools, uh, tethertools.com. And they, they have a couple of their own sort of signature products. Like they think their main thing are, um, uh, mounting plates for, for laptops that are nice and sturdy so that you can put a laptop and a, and a mouse or a hard drive or a couple of other bits and pieces on a, on a, on a nice heavy duty, like, you know, stand or tripod. Um, and then, you know, there's straps and, yeah, definitely check out tethertools.com um, to see some of their interesting products um, that are designed for photographers who um, – or not even not just photographers, pretty much anybody who wants to have a little mobile computer set up on a, on a stand with like a little platform. Um, but they also have this, this product called the Wally, which is the W-A-L-L-E-E uh, iPad system, which is uh, an integrated plastic case – that's really not really much of a case. I, I put case in quotes. I mean, it's just a thing that kind of snaps onto the back of the iPad. Um, but it has a special notch in the back of it that is compatible with this really nicely designed heavy duty metal um, adapter, um, which essentially, I mean, it's huge. Uh, the thing is about the size of like a racquetball, 
I would say, dimensions-wise, if, if you were to make it into a cylinder as opposed to a sphere. Uh, and it has, you know, a big-ass socket so that you can stick it on a standard light stand. It has a little, uh, the, both of the different tripod threads. So if you have the, the, the big tripod or, the, you know, like on medium format cameras yeah. uh, or the little 421. Um, so, it, you know, it's got all three of those. It, it's also been notched for Arca Swiss style tripod heads, like any of the really right stuff stuff. Uh, sure. Or, you know, there's a couple of companies that all have that same standard. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it's made out of metal. I think it's made out of steel or aluminum or something like that. And so it's very sturdy feeling. And it makes a great companion with uh, a magic arm and a super clamp, uh, which they actually sell as a kit. I think you can get the whole kit, like the, 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 the magic arm, the super clamp, the, the Wally bracket thing, and the case for like, maybe it's like 150 bucks. Uh, and obviously most of the cost there is the, is the magic arm because magic arms cost about 75, 80 bucks on their own. Um, but that, that's a really great little way of mounting your iPad to just about anything. So what I've been doing is, um, I just keep it off to my left. Uh, I mount it to, to my hi-hat stand, um, just out of reach. So I don't hit it by mistake, but I can still reach it with my hand. Uh, and it's been working out real well. So I wanted to that's a cool highlight that. Yeah, it really, it's really slick, man. And it doesn't take about a ton of room. You know, granted it's, you know, a magic arm with, you know, with a super clamp and this thing at the end of it, you know, it's, it's, it's a good pound and a half, two pounds of, of weight, but you know, because the iPad is so light, uh, it's a perfect candidate for the magic arm because magic arms are generally designed to be holding more like five or six pounds of stuff, not just one pound of, you know, whatever. So sure. you can really get it. I mean, it's not going anywhere once you, uh, once you tighten it down. So, uh, I just wanted to bring that up and, uh, share. That's a, uh, that's actually some pretty cool stuff. I like yeah. the, I like the set list maker. Yeah, right. It's a really cool little uh, yeah. Props to that guy. Yeah, it's those kinds of things that people don't that you don't think of the advantages of this new technology, like the little things that you didn't think or or somebody thought, oh, it'd be really great if we could make one of these things. I do set lists or whatever, and some guys actually like, well, I'm a developer too. I could do that. Yeah, and actually totally. made it. Well, you're 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 sort of guilty of that, aren't you? Yes, and, I've done that before. I mean, back in the day, I, I needed a flash photo viewer thing and i made one and i ended up selling it and giving it away photofolio.us there you go um uh but yeah no it's totally uh it's totally a a thing it's kind of neat totally a thing totes but goats (laughs) all right and with that we'll wrap this up hey uh, i met a guy this weekend who is an independent horror filmmaker okay and uh, and I thought I it might be too. it might be fun to bring him on to talk about just his like workflow and stuff. Sweet, you know, I thought he'd be an interesting guest. I like it. All right, so maybe we'll do that next week. I'll get him on the horn. Love it. Uh, so welcome back, everyone, and we will uh, we'll see you next week. Oh, let's see, circuitous.tv is the yeah, website. That's the home base. Uh, Direct all of your attention to circuitous.tv for live uh, for you know not live but for streamable versions of the show if you don't want to download it um, or you don't have your iPod handy uh, or if you want to participate in the discussion and leave some comments yep, we love that uh, and then uh, let's see circuitousconversations at gmail.com yeah and then if you want to get a hold of us at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter yeah uh, so, and, and, uh, that's it that's it bye 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 bye